Welcome to Call to Create, an LDS PMA podcast where some of the best Latter-day Saint creators offer tips, tools, and inspiration to guide you in your creative journey. I'm your host, Connie Sokol. Welcome back to Call to Create. I'm your host, Connie Sokol, and I am so delighted with our lovely, wonderful guest. You will recognize her from being in church service as a general auxiliary leader, and it is Bonnie Oscarson. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. I'm so happy to be here. We were chatting beforehand and already I was like, oh, I've got to hit record because already our conversation was so fantastic. So it's going to be like that. Pull up a chair or just keep it going as you're driving and just get ready to enjoy. It's going to be great kitchen table wisdom today. But first, the official bio. Moni Oscarson was born in Salt Lake City, Utah, and has lived in eight different states and one foreign country during her life. She and her husband served as mission president and companion in the Sweden Gutenberg mission in the 1970s and 20 years later returned to Sweden as temple president and matron for the temple in Stockholm. In 2015, Bonnie wrote a book, What Makes Us Sisters, urging women to urge and inspire others in ways that help them realize their greatest potential. She and Paul have seven children and 29 fascinating grandchildren. Bonnie served as the Young Women General President of the Church from 2013 until 2018. Currently, Paul and Bonnie serve as ordinance workers in the Provo Temple and as ecclesiastical leaders in the Provo MTC. Oh, we're so delighted to have this wonderful wealth of wisdom today. So let's jump right in. First and foremost, this serving in the church, did you see how the Lord prepared you for that in hindsight? After serving, could you look back and say, oh, I could see how the Lord just helped prepare me for this experience? Because a lot of our creatives that are listening kind of feel like it's all going to be spelled out in alphabets, right? And you're going to just know A plus B equals C. (laughs) So I would love to know what that path was for you. I never could have foreseen what my life was going to become like, that's for sure. But I think when I received the call to to serve as the Young Women General President, then you start evaluating and looking back and saying, can I do this? What has prepared me for this? And I, I did start to see ways that the Lord provided opportunities for growth in certain areas and provided a certain pattern to my life that prepared me for it. I think it was important to me that my family moved away from Utah when I was nine years old And we lived in lots of different situations, large wards, large developed wards that had a lot of resources. And when I was 14, I think, um, we moved to Nashville, Tennessee, where there was one little branch at the time. And um, my father was called to be the district president. And so we traveled out to these tiny little branches that met in Quonset huts out in the middle of the hills of Tennessee. And so I, I got to experience that, too. I think those kinds of experiences helped me to be more empathetic when it came to traveling around the world and meeting with young women to say, I I was like you, I was the only young woman in my high school, you know, who was a member of the church, but I've also lived in big wards too. So I I felt like it gave me a way to interact and, and be empathetic with different situations. Also, I never considered myself to be a great writer. It's always been hard for me to write. And 40 years after I started at BYU, I decided to go back to school and get that bachelor's degree. So, (laughs) And I ended up uh, with an emphasis in British and American literature. Well, guess what? I had to write a lot of essays. That's a major that you, you know, have to do a lot of analyzing. and, And it really improved my writing skills. And then a few years later, I'm called to have to write conference talks. And 
and magazine articles. And so I'm, I didn't know that I was going to need that skill, but Heavenly Father did, I think. There have been other situations like that, that just, you know, I think the Lord puts things in your path. He knows what's coming down the road. And yeah, yeah it is amazing. I love that you shared that because sometimes I think we can look at those experiences and say, ah, why am I in this? Why, why is the Lord putting me here? Why can't I have a life that's like so-and-so or such and such? And I love that you could look back and see those breadcrumbs of experiences that, oh, I'm so glad that I had that now. I remember Elaine Dalton talking about at one point when her husband uh, lost his job for a little bit and she started a little interior design company, a little business. And she said she learned how to do a lot of like, you know, the software and different things like that. And she said when she was called into service with an auxiliary position that she said she would often just bow her head and thank Heavenly Father that she had learned those skills so that now she could transpose them and use them in that particular way. I just love that, that you could see the thread. I think you have to make choices along your life too that that say, you know, I want to live a life of faith. I want to be devoted. I want to be all in. Then the Lord can provide those experiences. I think sometimes if we hold back, we may miss a few of them. That's so perfectly put. And it's so beautiful that you said that because today with this interview, we want to do it just a little bit differently where so often as creators, we focus on the thing, the song, the book, the speech, the, the project, the movie, the film, instead of looking at our lives of creating a meaningful life and letting the Lord plop us into these different experiences that he actually has a higher view of a need for that. And it doesn't discount any of those other things that we're doing, and it doesn't negate that, but that these other pieces of creating this meaningful life is helping us live it right now, and then preparing us for what he wants to do in the future. So as we talk about this, he's led you along and you're doing this calling. What did you see as far as the skill sets that he helped you develop while you were in that calling? So one of the aspects that I would love to ask you about is you did a great job with the young women of creating and inviting people to create an environment to open dialogue, to have meaningful discussions, to talk about doctrine, to talk about questions, to talk about things with these youth. And I love how you gave tips to create those meaningful spaces. Tell us a little bit about those things. What were some of the things you felt really driven to share during that time and how you were able to get the skill set to do that? Oh, boy, that's a hard question. I hope I can answer it. I'll, and I'll begin by sharing one of the first domestic trips I took where I was asking a question to young women stake leaders, where we'd have a whole gathering of stake and ward leaders. And, and I would say, how do your young women see themselves in this work? And Every single time I was getting the answer, we support the priesthood, we support the work, we support. It was all we support. And I didn't hear any of, we're fully engaged in it. And so I think that's where the discussions started, was, was realizing that the young women sometimes considered themselves to be cheerleaders on the side and not engaged in the work themselves. And this really became a focus for us. There was a a meeting also that I was sitting in where Elder Oaks was in this meeting, and they were talking about the youth of the church, and they were talking about how uh, the young men of the church have these highly visible priesthood responsibilities of preparing the sacrament and passing the sacrament, and they're representing the Savior, and they're seen by everybody. And Elder Oaks kind of stopped the conversation and looked at me and said, what do the young women do that is of an equivalent nature of 
where they feel like they're an important part of this work. And I couldn't answer him. I said, I didn't think about this. <laughs> so that really did become a focus for our presidency to engage the young women more in the work. And I think that has continued since you know our release where young women aren't just supporting the work. They're capable and they want to serve. And so they're taking a greater responsibility in their class presidencies. They're teaching lessons, they're conducting lessons, and the leaders are kind of stepping back to support them rather than the young women being the supporters. So that really did become a big focus for us to have bishops um, and young women leaders and all the priestly leaders say, let's call in the young women when somebody needs help. Let's make them ministering sisters if needed. There were just a lot of ways to help the young women see themselves as being vital and essential to this work as much as those who have more visible priesthood callings. You are spot on. And in fact, I think about, I believe it was Sister Dew that talked about that. That's so symbolic to me because she was saying how with priesthood, there's power, authority, keys, right? That the men have more structure, but the women have more fluidity. And it makes sense because of our role. We have so many relationships that we are have stewardship over and so many ways we can go mission or not a mission, marriage or, or not marriage, you know, career, or not career. There's so many things that we different paths we can do. It makes sense to me that what you just said is has kind of flowed that way. But what I also love is that you open and enlarge that vision to say, because of that, they can be more utilized. And for those listening, I invite you to consider in your wards, in your creative work, who you can invite in that you may not be seeing ostensibly on the outside, just instead of high profile or high visibility, just being able to say, who else can be involved in this? Because I look at singles, I look at different ethnicities. I just look at a variety of things. My Relief Society present is Spanish, and it's been one of the best things ever that she has brought that dynamic to this. I look at Brandon Mull, who's written books, and he shared things from Indian Navajo Reservation, where he has had experience there and brought that into his work. So adding in these different insights and enlarging the the inclusivity of, oh, who do I bring in and who can who can help attend with this or or be a part of this can just flourish our creative work and a more meaningful life. I love that. I look at the youth that have become these young adults and the youth currently, they are doing amazing things and they are so capable. They're so on it. What do you see now as maybe as a result of some of those seeds that were planted intentionally? We, we have the opportunity, as you mentioned, to serve in the MTC right now as ecclesiastical leaders. My husband is in a branch presidency. So we're kind of like the home ward for a zone of missionaries. And I think where I'm seeing it now is that I, I'm seeing greater numbers of young women choosing to serve missions and wanting to be a part of that priesthood work. We are endowed with priesthood power too. You know, when we call sister training leaders to step in, they don't say, oh, I don't know if I can do this. I, they already have confidence because they've been in class presidencies and they've been assigned to nurture and minister to the to the young women within their ward. And I just see a greater confidence, self-confidence, and a belief that I am an important part of this work. And there was recently a, a district of, of elders and sisters who were sent to Mongolia. Tough mission, tough language, but they were so excited to get going. They're they're courageous and they're brave and they're already skilled at leadership skills and they're willing to step up and assume responsibility. So tell me if you would, 
as you've gone along, you then wrote a book. What was the catalyst for this creative <laughs> endeavor? I can only imagine someone was probably twisting your arm. <laughs> yes, <laughs> it wasn't my idea. Like I say, I've never considered myself to be a great writer. And it was after I gave a talk in, in I think it was back when we still had women's sessions on Saturday night before conference, before it was made part of the actual conference weekend, that I gave a talk about, are we not all sisters? And and Desert Book came to me and, and asked if I would, if they could adapt my talk to, I think that was a Mother's Day kind of special kind of thing. Mm-hmm. And it just blew me away to think that they really thought my talk was worth that. So I worked with them and it, and it was so fun because what they did was they they wanted to capture things that they knew I liked and and kind of reflected my style. And so they went to my Pinterest page to see what things I found to be interesting and thought were cute and fun and everything. And so the first proposal they brought to me, they had used ribbons and little textures and kind of a shabby chic look because they looked at my Pinterest page and kind of gathered that that was the way I liked. And then, you know, I worked with them and I would say, no, I don't like that picture, but it was based on my talk. So it wasn't like I was writing a novel or, you know, a creative thing like that, but it was really a fun process because they were interested in having it reflect my personality in addition to my words. So that's a great point too, is that sometimes some of our best creative work is unwittingly produced that we do it for that one was an unwitting novel. <laughs> yes, novel. You're like, oh, I didn't even intend it for, to be that, but we just talked before we started this of the work that goes into it. You know, you said people ask you is speaking at general conference, the hardest thing you said, no, it's writing the talk, right? That's the fetal position moment where you're trying Absolutely. to figure out. That's a good way to put it. Cause that's what where I you start. <laughs> that's right. I love that you shared those things and they were able to be put into that format. So more people could reach that. And I want to give a nod and talk for just a second about that with the Pinterest, because we had talked a little bit about the social media and it was it was really big during your tenure, the impact of social media and what that would look like and kind of in those a little bit early days. And as I remember Elder Bednar, and I was stunned when he was talking in his talk about making your social media Bonnie Oscarson worthy. I remember listening to that and I went, oh, I bet Bonnie Oscarson is like, wait, what? <laughs> what was your response to that? How did you feel? Well, I was so flattered that Elder Bednar had even looked at my Pinterest page, or I don't know if he did or not. But well, I'm not a big social media person in, in that I don't post things on Facebook. Or I, you know, I only communicate with with family on those social medias. But I do like Pinterest. It was just a fun way to save ideas and cute things and fun things. But before I was sustained, I did go and look at it to make sure there was nothing that would reflect poorly on this new calling. And I really don't think I changed a whole lot. So <laughs> that was a good sign. I was surprised at how many people went to the Pinterest page after I was called. And my my number of followers just kept going, you know, up wow. and up and up and up. It really surprised me because it was a popular thing at the time. So I was grateful that my Pinterest page did reflect nicely on the calling. And it passed the Elder Bednar stamp of approval. passed the Elder Bednar test. Yes. And that for our listeners, I have thought about that over and over. If we are Latter-day Saint creators, if we say that we are, 
we really are just the conduit for people to look to us to then reflect the light on the hill to the Savior. That's what we're saying that our focus is. So I love that you even went to the detail of that social media. So I invite listeners that if that's something you haven't done in a while, it's kind of like cleaning out that closet, mm-hmm. maybe just go through with the lens of an elder bed or a present Nelson looking at that to say, am I as a creative staying on course that it's not about me? It's about leading them to him. And am I still doing that in the way that I'm doing that? And I and I love that you're saying that occasionally we need to go look again because trends come and go and what is acceptable doing what we become more sensitive and aware of things that might cause hurt feelings or cause offense. And things do change like that. For instance, one of the things I think I took off of my Pinterest page was there was some post about Johnny Lingo and a Nate Cow wife thing. And that's offensive to some people now to think of paying a bride price or something. And Johnny Lingo is Johnny Lingo, but I didn't want there to be any offense there or people to think that I, you know, and so I I think I did take something off there. Um, Good to reevaluate occasionally and make sure that, that we're still reflecting what we want people to think about who we are and what we are. Absolutely love that. I'd love to kind of wind down with a couple of thoughts. We've talked about creating a meaningful life and you've had these unexpected, wonderful opportunities in your life. I would love to talk about the mountain experiences and the valley experiences out in the wilderness. You know, those moments where we really come to know or choose, I'm going to do this to create a meaningful life. And in order to do that, I'm maybe going to let go of something, whether it's a self-belief or it's a habit or a behavior, I'm just going to let go of that so that I can have and create this meaningful life. And then also those mountain experiences where, wow, the Lord expanded my vision of who I could be and the influence I could have. Are there either of those experiences that come to mind? I know there's probably a ton, but is there one that comes to mind? I think everybody has mountain and valley experiences. I like the way you put it. And I think my first big choice in that, I when I went to BYU, I was majoring in commercial art and I've always loved art. I've always wanted to be a, a creative person that way, but I knew I wasn't good enough to be a great artist, but I really loved design and, and graphics and all. And so I majored in commercial art. And then then I met Paul Oscarson and knew for without any doubt that he was the one that I was supposed to marry. And so I I followed that. I trusted the Lord that that was what I was supposed to do at the time. But it meant giving up some things. When I was a teenager, my parents for one of my birthdays bought me a drawing board so I could, you know, have a a creative place in my room to to sketch and draw and that kind of thing. Well, after we got married and we decided to start our family, my drawing board became a changing table. (laughs) So, and there were times, there were times when I used to think, well, yeah, I used to draw things on this. Now I'm doing another creative process, I guess, raising children. And I, I just, I felt like I needed to follow what the Lord wanted me to do and what I felt was right for me. So we had seven children pretty close together. And that was my creative process. And it was very fulfilling. And I learned a lot of lessons in raising children that I didn't have to be your typical Mormon mother that made bread. And, you know, I directed my children toward more creative things. And and we always had lots of art supplies and, you know, messy, whatever. And sure enough, several of my daughters are just compulsive creators. So I think that was a good thing. And creativity comes in all forms, you know. We were called to serve as mission president and wife in the 70s. I was 25 years old. And it was challenging at times to have five little children. We had 
we took four with us, including a newborn, and had a baby in Sweden. And I wasn't your typical mission president's wife. I didn't do a lot of things that, that they do now. They've been given a lot more responsibility. And sometimes there were some valleys in there where I was home with the kids or we're driving after having interviewed missionaries and the kids are getting car sick in the car and throwing up all over each other. And, and I'm thinking, people think we're on this mission and it's just this gloriously spiritual experience. And guess what? <laughs> There's a reality to it that's that's uh, not quite what you would, would be, you know, expect and all. So, yeah, I think there are always hills and valleys. But what I learned on, in that mission experience, I, I would not give up for anything, even though it was not your typical mission experience, you know. And going back later to serve in the temple was a highlight. That was one of the mountaintops because I'd had the experience when I was 25 and I had been able to learn the language. I was grateful that I could speak Swedish and I could do training in Swedish and I could uh, prepare new endowments in Swedish. And that was such a great blessing. That was a mountain. And to be able to serve in the temple every day with my husband, that was a mountaintop experience. That also meant that later when I was called to be the Young Women President, I had that firm foundation of get our young women to the temple. That should be a goal to get everyone to the temple. I tell our missionaries in the MTC, your goal is not to get them into the baptismal font. It's good to get them into the ceiling room of the temple. Oh, I love all of what you just said and how beautifully that book ended and connected with that experience at 25 and you were willing, you did the unexpected and thought maybe you were sacrificing something, but then even better is all of that that was ahead. And I, I just thought of that analogy. I thought, oh, so often we feel like we're putting our creative things on the altar, and especially for women, because we often, when we're having children, then we have to put things aside, whether it's writing or painting or music or whatever, we have to seasons of that. And we try to get up at four and try to do those pieces. But as I think about that drawing board being used as a changing table, I think that is a, it is a, an altar of a sorts. And, and you are putting those things and sacrificing that on there for that baby and be creating this human being, this life, this meaningful life, literally as this human being and giving your all for that. And it's being made up and compensated for in a variety of ways. It's and not a sacrifice at all, really. I was just going to say, we don't lose anything. We don't. Oh, you just gain. You just you, gain. You yeah. just gain. And he's just made you more effective, more capable, more you, more effective instrument in all that you're doing. And look how that came full circle. And now your children and how they're perpetuating those beautiful gifts. And I love that you brought up the... I wasn't your typical. I wasn't your typical mission president. I wasn't your typical mom. I wasn't your typical. For those that are listening sometimes, and again, I apologize, but especially women feel guilty if they're not the typical, I didn't bake bread all day and I didn't, you know, have, have everything be just so and did all the cutouts for our family scripture time. <laughs> and you don't have to, right? It's, it's this being led along in your path to create these expressions, whether it's in a human being or a project or a painting or creating those meaningful lives. That's, that's it. LDS, Latter-day Saint Creatives. That's what we're doing. Any last thoughts on that? Well, I, yeah, I, we tend to be a culture, I think, because we are uh, have strict commandments and, and things that we're expected to do, that we think we all have to be alike. And I love the fact that you have talked about that we are a much more diverse culture of people now, and we need to embrace that. We need to embrace the diversity and say we, we don't all have to be alike. We can be righteous 
but be different. And living a creative lifestyle involves looking at things with fresh eyes and not feeling like you have to fit a certain mold, but um, to, to follow your path and your gifts and your talents and what you're interested in and, and bring your family and your children along with that. So mm. um, I love your message too, of, of what creativity involves. It's not just sticking with the usual. It's with fresh eyes and being willing to, to follow your, follow your talents and dreams. So, so good. I love how you said that you can be righteous and be different. So good. Sister Oscarson, thank you so much for being with us today and sharing this creative aspect and lens that can flow right over and lay over our lives every single day of how we can live these Latter-day Saint creative lives and lead people to him. Thank you so much for being with us today. Thank you. It's been a joy to be with you. And for those listening, again, if you love these interviews, we're all just here to help each other moving along this creative path. Remember, we've got Steve Young and Jane Clayson Johnson and Lisa Valentine Clark and Napoleon Dynamite, John Heater. We have all of these wonderful people who are sharing about their creative journey to help you take the next step on being called to create.